Yeah. So I think the difference between exercise and training is, is really a, a degree of intentionality where you are setting performance goals and, uh, you know, exercise it's for feeling good for maximizing health. Uh, you know, it's, it's great for your brain. It's great for your body, but it doesn't have that same degree of intentionality that you have with training and training you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be for competitive events. Welcome to Champions Mojo, a podcast to bring out your inner champion. Your hosts are sisters-in-law, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds national and world records in master swimming. Maria holds world records in endurance cycling and won the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. Both are certified health and life coaches. Our goal is to inspire you through conversations with champions. And now your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And as usual, I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hello, Maria. Hello, Kelly. Maria, what a great show we're going to have today. We are welcoming our first triathlete to the show, and what a place to start with two-time Olympian for the USA in triathlon. She is definitely a champion with a big triathlon resume, wins in all distances of triathlon from sprints all the way up to Ironman. It's the successful Sarah True. But Maria, before we bring Sarah in, would you share a bit more about her? Sure. Sarah has her roots in swimming and swam at Middlebury College in Vermont, where she earned All-American honors as a swimmer and for the last 15 years has been building her triathlon resume to one of the best in the world. So without further delay, let's bring in Sarah. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this podcast. Yeah, Sarah, welcome. And Sarah, I'm going to start right in with the fact that you swam at Middlebury College. And I ask you, did you swim for Peter Solomon? Yes, I did. And he's <laughs> one of my favorite people on this planet. Yeah, you know, this is really funny. I did not know that about you at all. So I'm like a huge fan of yours, just watching your your triathlon career. And I've, I told you in the pre-show, Maria and I both have done a lot of triathlons ourselves. But Peter and I swam together at NC State, and Peter and I were captains of the NC State swimming team together at the same time, and he is just one of the greatest coaches, one of the greatest people, so I cannot believe, like, just in, like, the little details of your life, when I saw that you swam at Middlebury, I, I couldn't believe it, so tell me a little bit about what it was like to to swim in college at Middlebury, and, you know, just how that kind of transitions you into triathlons. Yes. One of one, I, I guess I should back up and say Middlebury's a, a division three school in Vermont, but the moment I stepped onto campus, I felt like this is it. This is the school where I want to be. I knew that a, a smaller school would be a good fit for me because I was always interested, not in so I never saw year rounds. That seemed really intimidating to me, a big program. So a small program where I could run and bike and just be active the rest of the year was really exciting to me. On my recruiting trip, the very first time I met Peter Solomon, whom you just mentioned, we went for a run together. 
he also was a, a was a triathlete at the time. I have to check in with him and see if he's still doing them. He said it was the first time he's ever been for a run with one of the athletes he's recruited. And I don't know, it just it just felt right. I I loved the ability to balance other interests and academia with sports. And I I left college with a, a huge fire in my belly to still be an athlete. While I think athletically, you know, if I'd done a year long program, super intense program, I would have seen some really fast times potentially, but I don't know that I would still be a professional athlete. So I think, you know, to anybody who's considering college out there who listens to this podcast, it's, it's good to consider, you know, what you want long-term. And for me, that was uh, longevity and sport in general. So you knew back even in when you were looking at colleges that you wanted to do sports forever. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a lifelong habit, right? You, as you both can attest to. Yes, yes. And that that is leads me into so you're talking to a couple of, you know, o- older older lady <laughs> athletes. We're both coming up on our 60th birthday, not quite too soon, but but we are and we're still very active in um I you know, I know you know Maria's resume rode, you know, one ram in 2013s. Yeah, yeah, her 50s. So <laughs> Um, not just ram against, you know, masters, but ram against everybody in her 50s. So we feel like women athletes, because that's who we kind of deal with, can get better and better well into their older age groups. I mean, Maria calls herself an adult onset athlete. And you're, you know, you're 38 now, right? Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on, you know, that you're you're approaching 40 and you're you're training for 20, well, 2020, 21 or are you what's what's going on in your mind with all that so i i switched to ironman distance triathlon after the 2016 games and that's what i think as as you both can back me up on this it, you find as you get older you get really good at the the long grinding endurance something like ram i don't know if that's in my future but i'm not going to count it out but you just what I love is that when you're younger, that speed comes really naturally. And as you get older, just you really find your way in endurance. Like that's been the progression of my pro- professional career. I am still doing Ironman. Uh, I love seeing, you know, some of my peers who are in their 40s still out there crushing it in professional racing. I'm not sure, you know, if that will be me. But the fact that we have this ability to uh, shift gears and, you know, change sports, change disciplines, change distances, I think it's, it's such a remarkable time for, for athletes in this country. Maria, I know you're, I know you're <laughs> salivating. You've got to jump in here as, as, the, as the Ram Queen. I think, yeah, I, as you age, you get to use the muscle that you don't develop as much when you're young and that's your brain in sports. And so you, you know, you have this ability to use your mind and you learn to use your mind where your body might be failing you in, in, in parts. So, I mean, I, I love, and I love the idea that, you know, I, I, that's why I asked the question about college, like knowing this is part of who I am. I am always going to be active physically and um, you know, Kelly and I do some health coaching too. And a lot of what I'm doing is, is encouraging my 
the people to think of themselves as an athlete and that this is just part of what you do. You just, and I listened to one of your YouTube or watch one of your YouTube videos sort of about the same, the difference between exercise and training. I thought that was really interesting. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think the difference between exercise and training is, is really a, a degree of intentionality where you are setting performance goals and, uh, you know, exercise it's for feeling good for maximizing health. Uh, you know, it's, it's great for your brain. It's great for your body, but it doesn't have that same degree of intentionality that you have with training and training, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be for competitive events. Uh, you know, right now we're finding ourselves in a period of time where we don't have competitive events in the near horizon, but most of us who were training before COVID are currently training. It's, it's setting performance goals in training that, you know, having benchmarks, having, having things that you're working towards to become a better athlete versus, you know, exercise, which is not necessarily with the, the goal of becoming a better athlete, but just becoming a healthier, you know, more well-rounded individual. Do you have a hard time as you're aging and you're young so that you're, you're, you're setting benchmarks? Are you still trying to be the very best you've ever been? Or are you setting benchmarks that are benchmarks for a 37-year-old? Yeah. So I what I love about sport is at any age, you can always become a better athlete. And that may not mean that you're necessarily faster but you can become a better athlete. You're better at your craft. And that's, you know, having more intentionality, having more knowledge, having more self-awareness. And I think that's something that we can always get better at, regardless of how much faster we're going. And, you know, I know you were talking about the, the as you mature, you start using your brain more. <laughs> and that's where, you know, I find that you know, I'm, I'm more respectful of my own boundaries and that allows me to uh, train better. Whereas before, you know, I had that young athlete, young athlete bullheadedness and I'm actually more effective with my training now as an older athlete because I'm using my brain and just having the humility to realize that I can't do the same things that I did when I was younger, but I can do them better. Mm, I love that. Mm. As I get older, you know, I would, I would like to become even better, know even more about myself and my sport. And you absolutely will. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. You know, the level that I've competed at, I Maria's late, uh, came to sports way later in life, but just having been a very intense, you know, young swimmer myself, trying to go to the Olympics, trying to get a college scholarship and swimming, you know, at division one at a high level. And then going into triathlons, going into master swimming, you, you never, um, you never kind of lose that drive, that ability to, to hone your craft, like you said. So when you think of, I love that you, you did the Olympic distance for the Olympics for the last two years, you, you know, you just finished just off the podium in 2012, which, you know, the highest American finish, um, in that Olympics. And, when you say now I found Iron Man, do you see anything after Iron Man or any 
a variation of Iron Man or Ram or what, what does that look like? Like when you're looking, cause you, I, I know you're the type of athlete, Sarah, that looks down the road, 10, 20 years. You know, I, I don't. So one of the things that I've loved about you know, this, this journey of sport for me uh, as a professional triathlete is that I have tried to go in without any preconceived notions about what I can do. And I keep on surprising myself and I keep on discovering things that I didn't know that I would necessarily like. You know, if you had asked me five years ago, if I'd be doing Ironman, I'd say, "Uh, probably not, not for me, not going to like it. And yet I have stumbled upon Ironman. I'm pretty good at it. I love it. And it's, it's been this beautiful surprise that my, my careers evolved in these different ways in part, because I've just had an open mind about, you know, I will wait until what is right for me makes me feel really passionate. So, you know, before my, so probably how you could say eight months before my first Ironman, you know, before there was a part of my brain that told me, you know, this, this really long step, it's such a big part of your sport. Maybe you should do it. Your sponsors would be happy X, Y, and Z, you know, it'd be a new challenge, but I didn't feel passionate about it. But then October, 2017, I basically woke up one morning. I'm like, I have to do this. And it's nothing to do with a professional reason. It's totally personal. And I, I need to do it for me, for my, you know, sense of fulfillment in the sport and just to see if I can do it. And I think, and I was pleasantly surprised that in order to tackle something like that, I think you really do need to be fairly passionate about it. And I didn't expect it to hit me like a ton of bricks that I would want to enter this world of long course triathlon. And I can only suspect that I'm going to have more of those moments down the road. You know, I, I didn't set out to be a professional triathlete. I didn't set out to be an Olympian, none of these things. And I don't want to say I've stumbled upon them because I've worked very hard for them, but the, I've been open to opportunity and let myself just kind of be taken away by whatever's next. To you, I, I was following your Instagram. I mean, your, um, I guess is your Twitter feed. And what I noticed is that you're a really good writer. Oh, thank you. I, I don't, I, it's hard. It's my, my, uh, my older sister is a fiction writer uh-huh. and, you know, she's a national book word finalist, you know, New York times bestselling author. So yeah, I, I do not think of myself as a good writer. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> when the bar is that high. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's how you became the athlete. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right. If if you want if you want to have uh, an athlete in the the family, you know, it definitely helps to have older siblings. <laughs> so tell me about when. Um, did you start making a living as an athlete? Have you always, I mean, since you graduated from college, have have you always been a pro? Yeah. So not, not long after graduating from college, you know, my senior year of college, you know, I was wrapping up and I felt, you know, I, I liked my swimming career at Middlebury. I felt as though I could have gone much further, uh, but I just, I wasn't ready to. And it was this 
hey, I've done a few triathlons. I wouldn't necessarily consider have considered myself a triathlete at that point. Uh, there was no reason for me to think this. So I'm like, you know what? I want to take a couple of years and see if I can get good at this triathlon stuff. And you know, I got my professional license pretty quickly and just things escalated quite rapidly. Uh, I mean, the first couple of years, don't get me wrong, I was uh, I was living hand to mouth you know, race to race. And I had to, you know, do dog washing and things like that to, to make ends meet. But finally, you know, things really clicked into place and here I am still doing it. It's pretty it's, wild. Yeah. It's, it's great to, you know, for, for people who listen to the show who might think of, you know, a future in professional athletics that, you know, that it's, it's doable that it's doable. It's wonderful that you've been able to live that life. And it looks, now you live in New Hampshire, am I correct? Yeah. Yep. Um, I live in New Hampshire. It's great. Uh, great up yeah. here. I live in uh, north of Boston in a little town called Newbury. So I, I'm probably some similar climate and so forth. That is a great place to train. Well, okay. Eight, eight months out of the year, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why you go to Boulder, I guess, for some of it. What we've we've bounced around every winter. So my my uh, husband's also a professional athlete. He's a runner, and the two of us will will normally pack up during the winter and try to find some place with a bit more sun and a little less snow. Hmm. On this strange world we're living in now, with the the quarantine and the pandemic, what have you been doing for your training? Have you found a pool, or I, I you know as, as a swimming podcast generally you know, most pools are closed. So what have you been doing? I have been, uh, pretty, I really miss swimming. I really miss swimming. I never thought I would miss it this much. You know, we were fortunate because we have a lot of ponds and lakes up here. So for the past month or so, I've been, you know, kidding myself up in a wetsuit and heading out open water, but our pools are just starting to open. My local pool, you book in advance for 30 minutes. And I'm like, 30 minutes is not worth it for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, guys, give me, give me an hour, give me 90 minutes. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to head to, uh, to head to the lake and just swim open water. But it's what's great about being a triathlete is I have two other sports. So, you know, that cardiovascular fitness does translate. And hopefully if you are a swimmer who listened to this podcast and you haven't been able to swim, you've been still getting that cardiovascular load, you know, doing other sports, you will, yeah, obviously your feel for the water changes a bit when you aren't in it. But if you can stay fit in other ways, you will find yourself bouncing back uh, to, to swim fitness pretty quickly once you're back in a pool. Yeah. Swimming fitness comes back pretty quick, especially if you maintain that, that cardiovascular you know, part of it. That's, that's great. You're well known for this, your toughness in these long races. And certainly you've had some obstacles with that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so my first year of doing Ironman <coughs> was 2018 and things went pretty easily. You know, my, my first race, I was, uh, I was second to the reigning world champion and I'm like, Hey, this Ironman stuff isn't that bad. Second race was the world championship in Kona. I was fourth there for a while. I was in third, but, uh, Ooh, that it's hot. It's hot. 
let me tell you, and I don't really remember the last eight miles of that run, but uh, I got through it, got fourth, was pretty proud of that. The next year, so last year, 2019, I found out exactly how hard uh, Iron Man can be. And we still don't know exactly what's happening. We have a fairly good idea that it's um, uh, autonomic system dysfunction. So basically my, my nervous system reacts very strongly to the heat now, which means that I've been uh, blacking out in some races and mm. it's been very frustrating. Uh, we don't really have a solution, but you know what? I, I am still optimistic that like our bodies are amazing and maybe, maybe this year, this 2020 is a blessing in disguise for me because it will let my uh, nervous system reset. I don't know. Or maybe I will only be doing cool races from now on. Either way, it just, it gave me a new found respect for my body. You know, the, I was, I'm blacking out because it's a protective mechanism. You know, that, that protective mechanism is kicking into gear way before I am in any sort of physical distress. So that my body, like from basically from the neck down, I'm totally healthy, but my brain's just re, re it's interpreting the heat signals as danger, danger, danger when there's no danger. So I think it's, it's obviously been very frustrating as a professional, but it is fascinating to realize that our bodies just, you know, we're, our bodies are smart. Our brains are smart. They, they want to protect us. They want to protect us. And sometimes, uh, you know, we try to override those systems and we just need to go with it and kind of wait, wait it out, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's been definitely an unexpected part of my journey. Would you say that's been the biggest obstacle in your life or have you had another bigger obstacle? I would say that's just a, it's a professional obstacle that's been fairly recent. I would say it's not necessarily an obstacle. I don't think anything in my life necessarily has been. I would say the one thing that I've had the hardest time getting a handle on, uh, both personally and professionally, is uh, I have a history of depression, which is fairly common in endurance athletes. And developing skills and coping mechanisms to help me uh, be able to navigate kind of the harder times and still be a professional athlete. You know, it's, it's taking years to find a, a good strategy, but I kept on working away at it. And, you know, it's always going to be changing and evolving, but I would say that's probably the, you know, depression's pretty common. Mood disorders are fairly common. So, it's not a unique, I would say, obstacle, but it's something that has, you know, presented itself um, in my career and I've had to work through it. I have depression in my family. Would, would you mind sharing some of your strategies? Do you recognize it and then take take action or are they preventative? Well, it's it's both really. Uh, no, a lot, a lot of the time, I think we, we will, we, n- want help when we're in a moment of, of crisis or near crisis. 
And I've found that I need to focus a lot of attention on the times where I feel like things are good and develop strategies to carry me through those, those bad times. And that's, you know, for me, obviously exercise is such a huge part of what I do, but it's finding that balance between, you know, is this, is this healthy? Is this productive? You know, getting outside for everybody, you know, that has a huge mental health benefit uh, as does exercise. But when you're talking about high performance sport, you can go over the edge. So I found that periods where, uh, you know, I'm overtraining, um, I'm doing too much exercise where, or, you know, just, I can't, I can't really cope with the physical load. I do find that there, uh, there is a tendency for me to go into depressive periods at times, whether you're an athlete or you aren't, it's really just stress is a trigger. So we don't think of, of training as necessarily being a stress, but it's a, it's a, both a physical and emotional stressor, you know, depression, obviously it's, if you have clinical depression, it comes and goes uh, throughout your life, but there are certain things can, that can exacerbate it and stress, uh, same thing. So, you know, if, if you have a nine to five job and you're going through an ex, you know, you have chronic loads of stress, it, it does, there is a correlation there. So for me, a lot of it is being cognizant of my own stress levels, uh, identifying when I probably am going to go into a depressive state, trying to be proactive. You know, that might mean backing off my training, spending more time with people, talking to my therapist more often. You know, there, I have different strategies that I've used, um, but really having that, that awareness of, uh, you know, when, when things might get bad, I have to start really uh, implementing the, the strategies that work for me. Thanks for sharing that. That's... Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, Maria and I are sisters-in-law, as you probably know, and so we we share family members and have depression in our family, and we call it circling the pit. So you you kind of get that pre-feeling of a depressive episode coming, and you kind of you know you can see if I don't start really taking care of myself, I'm going to fall into that pit. And uh, I like you know that you're you're saying, you know, you have to be aware of, of that feeling. And then you've got to get outside more and talk to your therapist and really be proactive and not just, you know, slide into that pit without being aware. So I, I really like that for, um, for being, for being proactive. But there are limitations to that. So yes. Yes. And that's when you are, are, when you are in that pit, you know, that's when you are, uh, the the last thing you want to do is get outside and stick to a routine and be around other human beings. And you have to force yourself to. Mm-hmm. And you also have to force yourself to be patient. So when I am in those in the midst of, of a depressive state, I I honestly think, you know, my history as an endurance athlete has really been helpful because if you're in you know, a world of hurt in a race, you just have to stick it out and you have to keep on looking up the road. And no matter how bad things are, 
in a, in a deep depressive state, you just have to believe that you're going to get through it and things you're going to pass. Like it's, it's going to pass and it, things will regulate. Uh, and sometimes you need a little help to get yourself yanked out of that. But just having that hope, having that optimism that it will turn around eventually, you know, when you're in the midst of these, these episodes, that's not going through your mind. It feels like everything, you know, all you can see is the darkness around you, but you just need to know that there's light on the other end. That actually gave me the goosebumps. That's so true. So much of what, you, you know, you learn in a hard endurance event is so applicable to even hard things like depression. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. Maria and I talk a lot about the pain that we feel in an endurance race and would love to hear your take on what does, what are you saying to yourself? We love mindset and our listeners love to, you know, learn from champions like you. You're in the most painful state in a race. What, what gets you through it? You know, a lot of it is uh, gratitude. So I like to think that nobody's forcing me to do it. I get to do it. And for me, sport is a celebration of my, you know, personal strength. It's a celebration of my, my training and all the work that's gone into that race. It's, a, you know, a celebration of what I'm, my body can do and realizing that, yeah, it hurts, but nobody's forcing me to do this. I do this by choice to test my own limits. So let's see, let's see how far I can go and not worrying about uh, what's going to happen down the road. So I, that was something that was really hard for me to get over uh, as an athlete, especially, you know, when I was a younger athlete and the, I did not get this as a swimmer at all is I would be thinking towards the end of the race and doing that kind of mental forecasting and in the middle, it would be this huge limiter for me. And it really took me years, um, really not until the last few years to just stay present minded. And if you just feel the feelings of that moment and that's it. And yeah, you're, you're going through all the emotions of, uh, you know, nutrition and, and what pacing and things that you need to do for your, your race to be sustainable to the finish line, but not thinking about what's down the road in terms of outcome, just what can I do right now to make this race better? Uh, and it that's, has nothing to do with outcome, it's totally to do with uh, your, your perception of your sensations at that moment. That's so great. We we love gratitude. And that that's a I don't know that we've heard that answer from any of our champions. It's sort of an interesting take. We've definitely broken it down that you can't look too far ahead. But the idea of being grateful even for this opportunity in this moment to feel this discomfort and I'm doing it for myself is is great. I I, I that's a wonderful take. I love it. Yeah, Sarah, what else? Obviously, that's a huge part of your character for being a champion. What other traits do you have that you think make you successful? Uh, I think resilience. You know, there are 
I have come across so many athletes who were more talented than I was, but I keep on bouncing back. And over the long run, that will make you more successful than somebody who is very talented, but doesn't know how to get themselves back up after, after difficulty and keep going. Um, you know, so much of, especially endurance sports, so much of sport rewards consistent hard work. And that's, that has been my saving grace is that I don't get, you know, knock on wood, I don't get injured often. You know, my, my, uh, I've been able to kind of just stay on the road, stay healthy, avoid, you know, really big periods of time where I can't train and can't get out there. And my performances have reflected that, you know, uh, it's, it's the beauty of sport is that it, nobody, nobody cares about one week of training, one month of training, really it's, it's the culmination of years. And it's, it's hard to see that as a young athlete. Um, but as you get older, you, you start to realize that, okay, so maybe I haven't swum for three months, but that's okay. Because you know what? I've swum for years and it's going to come back. And it's the athletes who don't have the, if you don't have the confidence of that, of everything that you've done for years, then you rush. So I've seen so many times athletes get into a cycle of injury or overtraining where they start panicking and they start to, you know, increase volume, increase load too quickly and their bodies can't handle it. So, you know, they enter this, this, this cycle of, never being where they should be. I would rather train at 90% and just be consistent rather than go, trying to go for hundred percent and continuously breaking down because you, when you're towing that fine line, it doesn't give you a lot of room for, for extra stress, for, you know, ability to cope with, okay, if, if you've overshot it, your body's not going to be forgiving. Um, you're better off holding back a little bit and going for the long-term perspective. So you're patient, <laughs> just like, you know, you, that seems to be sort of a theme for you that you've learned to be patient no matter what life brings you in your training and your life. I've learned to be patient the hard way, but I've learned. Yes. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, I wanted to talk. I, I watched your YouTube videos, which I loved. They were great, very, very honest and fun. Um, have you enjoyed doing that? Tell me about you know the ways that you've gotten out there other than racing. Yeah. So I, I, like all athletes in this era, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to manage the social media space. You know, there there are some athletes who are really natural at the stuff or they, they enjoy doing editing and they would do it anyway. And then there are athletes who do not want to post photos. They don't want to engage in social media. You know, they, they want to just hunker down and train. Uh, but realistically, you know, we, we have these business partnerships with companies that sponsor us. And there's an expectation that we will engage with people. We will engage with the audience, um, with our fans, with, you know, the general public. So it's, for me, it's, I've had to try to find, 
what I enjoy doing without it feeling like a burden. And I'm married to somebody who hates all of it. Uh, <laughs> so he's very reluctant about it. If, if he were gung ho, I think we would have so much fun with you because I'm, I'm fairly unfiltered. You know, I, I, I don't care if people judge me. That's fine because I know for every person out there who's going to judge me, there's going to be another person who's like, I, I like the fact that you're authentic. You are who you are. And I appreciate that about you. Yeah. Uh, so I like to focus on those people rather than the trolls. Yeah. And, and yeah. your your YouTube channel is Sarah and Ben True, right? I mean, so it's the yeah. two of you. Well, and actually his reluctance makes for, I have to tell people who haven't seen their videos, makes for a great chemistry because he's like the straight man or whatever. And you're laughing. <laughs> you look like you're having a great time. And he looks like he's kind of miserable, <laughs> but he's kind of enjoying it too. So it's it's really, I think the chemistry between the two of you on that channel is fabulous. Oh, thank yeah, you. I agree. That's, I agree. That's what we are off, off camera too. I spend half my day trying to make this man laugh. And I get nowhere. <laughs> That's funny. But he's That's got that funny. kind of smile underneath. He's like he's holding it back just to keep you keep you going. Because he 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 wants to just laugh at me, not with me. There's a, <laughs> there's a distinction there. I love it. I love it. So, um, Sarah, what has been your proudest moment? Oh man, my proudest moment. You know, it really changes by the day. I would say my proudest moment was deciding that I was going to do Iron Man and not caring about whether or not I was going to be good at it. So I think a lot of times our our fears hold us back. And, you know, at that point, I had nothing really to gain. I had a lot to potentially lose if I was bad at Iron Man. I mean, that's what people would remember about my career, not not my success at ITU. So I, that, at least that that's the perception. That's not reality. Um, I should I should be clear. But it would have been very easy to buy into that potential, you know, into that potential mindset that, oh, what if I fail? What if I'm not good at it? But I decided that I didn't care what other people thought. I didn't care whether or not I was going to be good. I had to do it and I had to do it for myself. And I was proud that I took that leap. That's great. And, and, and you were good. <laughs> well, and that, that was just a bonus, honestly. Yeah. You know, that, that was unexpected. And obviously, I, it's been fulfilling. I mean, even, even the hardships of last year, was, it was fulfilling, as frustrating as it was just to find, you know, new, new depth in my sport. So, so, so much of, I, I, I should clarify since, since this is uh, not a, this isn't a triathlete, triathlon podcast per se, um, since I'm your first triathlete, uh, the, the short course racing is, it's very insular. So you have, you know, the same 60 to 75 women, uh, 60 to 75 men racing around the world in the series you know you race each other at the olympics but you've been racing for years together so it's not like it's a new group of people there there's some you know fan engagement but there are no amateur races going on 
you live in this bubble of I2 triathlon. And then with the Ironman distance, with the half Ironman distance, it's, I show up and I, you know, collect my packet and it's along with thousands of amateur athletes. You know, the, the gun goes off and yeah, I'm, I'm in a wave that's a few minutes before everyone else, but we're all doing the same course and we're all out there in the same time. Um, and there's something that's really powerful about it, that with the short course stuff, I had lost uh, my connection to the sport as a whole. It was very much focused on, you know, the race series and performance and, you know, the Olympics. But with this stuff, it it really has grounded what I do into a larger narrative that I've really appreciated. Yeah. So the, the short course you're talking about the Olympic distance of the one mile swim, the 40 K bike and the 10 K run, right? Yes. Okay. So that just those for the, for the, you know, the listeners that, so a lot of swimmers totally aspire to be triathletes. I mean, you know, we've already got, I think the, the most uh, fear driven segment of the triathlon because if you're a swimmer you're not afraid to swim a mile in open water with a bunch of people around you you've done it so that is you know we've already got that under our belt as swimmers the one thing i wanted to discuss with you or one of the many things with triathlon did you ever feel or what are your thoughts on to make it an open-ended question what are your thoughts on the fact that the triathlon is so imbalanced coming from the mindset of being a swimmer or, or, or a runner? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if we're, if we're going to break down, say the Olympic distance triathlon into time components, the swim 1500 meters, we would do it under 20 minutes. The bike would be about an hour and the run is, you know, like, 34 minutes. So if you're looking, that's what you're talking about. Like imbalance yeah. that way. And if you, yeah. if you slice up the pie, the swim is easily the smallest piece of the pie. Yeah, man, I would like a longer swim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I always wanted to like, uh, win the lottery and then have balance bar sponsor something called the balanced man triathlon, where you would break it up evenly based on the world record holders time for the mile swim, the 40 K bike and the 10 K run. And then whatever that was, you do the percentage in thirds. So you come off of that time. And I think some of my triathlon friend geek swimmers, we came out with, I think it was like a, you know, a, a 45 minute swim and a 30 minute bike and a 20 minute run or something like, like that. But would you do a, Balance man triathlon. Sign me up. Yeah. Okay. Me up. <laughs> okay. So I I will say because because we are you know have a swim background, we have to recognize our own bias. Mm -hmm. uh, but the vast majority of uh, triathletes, you know the 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 bike of the three, the bike is the most accessible. You know you of you think of any, any sport, you don't need to have really any backgrounds in cycling to learn the skills. Uh, I mean, obviously there are some skills that you learn and you develop. It's, it, you don't have to necessarily be an incredibly athletic person in the same way that 
running, there are people who just will grind away for miles and you know, it's, it's hard to see improvement. Whereas on the bike, you just put time on the bike, you're going to see improvement. Um, so the swim is, is so much like those deeply embedded skills that we get when we're younger and we, we develop. So it's a huge advantage if you have a swim background in triathlon the bike, it just takes time The run to run fast. Um, there is definitely a natural ability component that, I think cycling's the most uh, egalitarian of of the three. So I I understand why in terms of time it's it's the the one with the greatest. But for the swim, we also have to realize that oh, it, it kind of makes me sad for my for the, my sport of triathlon. Uh I have seen videos of uh Ironman swims and people are not prepared for these things. And they are swimming kayak to kayak. So you have kayaks probably every, you know, 50 meters along the course. And they're just holding onto the kayak for dear, for dear life, you know, swimming like doggy paddle, kayak to kayak. And you realize that, okay, for those people, just to accomplish the swim leg is a massive feat. So we do take it for granted because we know how to swim, that it's easy, but you know, it's also the highest risk if you, if you aren't very proficient. Yeah. You know, Sarah, you have totally flipped my mind around. So just hearing, hearing that from someone with your massive experience and probably you've talked to many more people than I have about it, that, that really makes sense. The whole, the whole thing, just, just, I've never thought of it from that perspective. And of course I'm tremendously biased coming from you know, my swimming roots, but I, that's great. Thank you for that. I love it. I love that. Um, I've, I've seen that too. I, I was, I encouraged my sister to do a triathlon once and she came out of the water, just cursing me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask you, you know, you've, you've been, you, you know, you have so much longevity as an, as a professional athlete and you've seen so many other amazing athletes. What, what qualities or traits do you think champions share? I think optimism is a huge one hmm. where we're always pushing towards an idealized version of ourselves. And we know there's a good chance we're never going to get there, but that optimism that, you know, maybe this training year, like if I do everything right, I am going to be my best self. I think that's what gets us out of bed every morning and nobody does it perfectly. It's not, so I would, it's not a search for perfection because I think everybody acknowledges that perfection is impossible and it can really, that it can just destroy you uh, since it's impossible to, to try to achieve it. But I do think we, we each see in ourselves, man, you know, this year is going to be the year when I can be this version of myself. And that's what you're chasing. Um, yeah. So, but the, just having that, I think is, is a huge part of, of every, of every successful athlete I know. Um, I, I definitely think most champions are pretty resilient. I think uh, a lot of, oh, here's one. The ability to 
not stay in the past. So this is something that I've seen in um, a lot of great athletes is you move on quickly from both your successes and your failures. And we don't think about moving on quickly from our successes. So the, the athletes I know who define themselves by their, the best races in the past, uh, it becomes a hindrance for them. And I've seen it time and time again, where, you know, like I, I'm very grateful to have gone to the Olympics and I realize that's how other people see me. But if I only define myself by the Olympics, uh, that doesn't help me moving forward. So, you know, the, the day the games were over, I was moving on to what's next. And that would have been the case whether or not I'd gotten a medal. You know, my, my best races, my worst races, I, I try to move on quickly because you want to constantly be reaching towards something next, something new. You don't want to be uh, held back by your past. So I think, I think all those things I've seen in, uh, frequently in, in successful athletes. Yeah, those are great. Those are great. They are. Gosh, in the interest of time, we could talk to you all day, but uh, we, we don't want to keep you much longer. Would there be anything that we haven't asked you that you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, geez. If you're a swimmer, should you do a triathlon? And I say yes, because I genuinely believe that uh, doing other sports and being well-rounded makes you better at your sport. So even if you don't become a triathlete, just branching out and doing the cross training that's required to do a triathlon will have a positive impact on your swimming. So just try it and maybe you'll get hooked like me and like 15 years from now, you're going to be on a podcast talking about how awesome it was. You did your first triathlon. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. The the final thing that we're going to do is a quick little sprinter round just so, so our listeners get to know you better on some uh, seriously unserious topics. All right. So I'm going to say either a word and you just give me a which which one is more you okay ready yes cat or dog dog red or blue blue milk chocolate or dark chocolate dark (laughs) kickboard or no kickboard kickboard mountains or beach mountains football or baseball baseball iphone or android iphone coffee or tea coffee (laughs) (laughs) morning person or night owl morning do you paint your fingernails no oh okay maria has a few for you okay yeah these are short answer favorite color blue (laughs) favorite pizza topping um basil (laughs) (laughs) stumper there (laughs) that that was a that was a great answer favorite vegetable uh, oh, there's so many good ones. Uh, carrots. Okay. Uh, what's the, your favorite swim complex that you've swum in? Or let's, let's make this a triathlon one. What's your favorite triathlon venue? Uh, Hamburg. Oh, nice. Okay. Do you, do you have something on your pre-race playlist that you could share? I don't listen to music before. Okay. What do you do before? Uh, I try to stay present in my thoughts. Okay. And honestly, triathlon's a lot of fussiness, you know, making sure your gear's in order. 
so it's normally that because I'm not very organized. Okay. Uh, what's your shoe size? I don't even want to say. 11? Oh, I, <laughs> I love it. it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and I we know you have siblings. How many siblings? One brother, one sister. Okay. Do you have a favorite Star Wars character? Chewbacca. Oh, nice. Can you cook? Yes. Okay, what is what word comes to your mind most when you start any training, whether you're training swimming, running, or cycling? Which word? Yeah, like like before you're going to dive in the water, before you take your first step running, before you clip into your cleats. Oh man, which is two words? Not really. I, I, this is a long this is a longer answer than two words. But once you get going, it's awesome. But as a triathlete, I'm always tired. So it's really getting in the water, getting going. And then I, I'm not always chipper about it at the start. So Maria, <laughs> Maria, you, you, you turned that question around, which I love her answer because you asked what word comes to mind most before training. But we usually ask what words, the first thing that comes into your mind when the gun goes off. So is there a different word that like you're at a race and the gun goes off? What word? comes to mind just when you dive in the water for that first leg buoy what is, what is it, it? buoy buoy <laughs> buoy i love it i love it i i i like the fact that maria you asked the training question because we always say that you just got to do the first five minutes of a workout and then you're then you're okay so great that's great well, this great, has great been answers fan- yeah this has been fantastic sarah we really appreciate your time and i know our listeners are going to just love hearing your yes, stories yes yes your your experiences made you really thoughtful about everything it's been a great interview thank you so much oh my pleasure thanks for having me on all right wishing you all the best thank you takeaways 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 We've heard from you that your favorite section of our podcast is the takeaways. Thank you so much for that feedback. But before we get to the takeaways today, we wanted to ask you if you would please give us a five-star review. That way, more people will be able to find our podcast. Also, if you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll never miss a podcast episode if you subscribe. And please share our podcast with your friends. And now, the takeaways. Well, Maria, our first triathlete, and what a great interview. Gosh, I really could have talked to Sarah for another hour. Yeah, I I felt the same way. I I realized that time was slipping by, and there were so many other things I wanted to ask her. She's so uh, thoughtful, intuitive, and just smart. Just really, really smart. I, I I thought she had a lot of good stuff to say. Yeah, so much experience. So um, in the interest of time, we'll be a little quicker on our takeaways. My first one, I just first, first of all, I loved that she was very upfront and aware of her own ability to suffer depression and how she dealt with that. And I, my takeaway was that she tells herself in those times of depression that this will pass, that this is temporary. And I think that's such a great takeaway for all of us to use in any bad times. You know, if you've got the flu, if you've got, you know, you're, you're, move, you're in the throes of moving or you're having a bad time, that this will pass. So I, I just yeah. love that. I, I, I like that too. I like that she called 
the depressive episodes that her major obstacle too, because anybody who's suffered from depression knows how hard it is. So that was good. Well, my second, my first takeaway was what she said about having confidence and being patient and in terms of her athletic career, you know, that she could not rush, not overtrain and not throw herself into something or maybe, you know, switch, switch coaches or, you know, a dozen times or something that she was, that she had the long, the long view. And I love that she was patient about everything, you know, it sort of reflects back to the depression. This too will pass and, you know, just anything that she does, she's, she takes the longer view and she's learned patience. She said, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Patience is, is a great, takeaway. One that I know I can work on. Uh, sure. My second one was I when I asked her, what is your proudest moment? And she said it was her decision to embark into the Ironman distance without the fear that she would be successful or failure, you know, that just without any expectation. So I loved the the takeaway for me there was that fear can hold us back. So if we can just let go of our expectations of doing something, you know, like playing the guitar or doing karaoke or or deciding to learn a new skill or starting a podcast, whatever it is that you're you're fearful of, just let that fear go and just do something without expectation. Yeah, and then she had a lot to lose because she was already very good at what she was doing and she is sponsored. So, yeah, I like that too. I you know, I, I, I think a lot of us can understand fear. And when we hear somebody say, I'm going to do it anyway, that, that encourages all of us. So that was a great one. And then the, the last one that, I mean, of course there was so much, but I loved how you, when you asked her about mental mindset and, you know, in these long distances, she said something that we've never really thought about. She said she tried to be grateful, (laughs) which, you know, is so that she was using her body, that she was, had chosen to do that and though even was difficult she was she just tried to stay in that moment and be grateful and gratitude is good for so many things but it would never occur to me I might say okay I'm just going to go a little bit further and break it down that's kind of my thing but but to take that moment and say okay this hurts and this is tough and I don't know where the finish line is but I'm going to I chose this and I'm going to be grateful that I can do this with my body I thought that was really really beautiful yes I think Having gratitude in your moments of pain is is a definitely a great skill. So that yeah. was those are our takeaways. What a great interview, Maria! I feel so fortunate to be on this journey with you and have mm-hmm. get and get to talk to people like Sarah True. So thank you. Yeah, me too. I love you so much. Love Kelly, you too, I'm Maria. Grateful for you too. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. This week's quote of the week is from Sarah True. In painful moments or depressive moments, you have to be patient. Stick it out. Believe that you're going to get through it. It will pass. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cobra Media and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.